Welcome to the Virtually Varsity Podcast, the podcast that skipped a week and hoped no one noticed, like some poll voters. Here's your hosts, Jordan Harris and Taylor Red. Welcome back to the Virtually Varsity Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Harris, here with Taylor Red. We're excited to be back with you guys after taking a week off, and we got a lot of great content to cover today, and so we're... Uh, we're definitely excited to, to be back in the saddle and doing the podcast again. Uh, been a, a couple fun weeks in the MCLA, and I think the most exciting part is that we're getting close to the time when you can start talking bracketology, um, and uh, that always introduces a lot of fun topics. But for this week, we thought it'd be really fun to do a segment called Buying and Selling. And so we reached out to you guys on Twitter, and we said, hey, if you've got some good topics for us, send us a DM, send us a message. Um, and we ended up getting a ton of response, which we're super appreciative for. And so we've got a lot of great topics to cover today. So Taylor, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great as well. And I'm really excited for this <laughs> podcast. I think this is a this is a fun topic, a fun way to do this. Uh, shout out to uh, one of our virtually varsity silent contributors, Elliot Grow, who is uh, the person that came up with this idea as a topic for our show. Uh, I think it's a really great one and it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, buying or selling, uh, the format's pretty simple. Basically, we'll pose a question and it, we will either be buying or selling that question uh, depending on our personal feelings. So Taylor, I will let you kick things off for the show. Yeah, I thought it'd be good to kind of start off with uh, one we've debated a little bit, uh, but we've had a couple more weeks to kind of see how things unfold. Um, but uh, Liberty, I had them as as my number one team a couple of weeks ago. I think they're a little bit lower um, for you, but I thought uh, let's start off with Liberty as a top two seed come the end of the year. So when Nationals come around, are they are they the one or two seed? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and sell Liberty as a top two seed. And uh, I think Liberty is, if you were saying, is Liberty a Final Four team? I'd probably buy that. But as a top two seed, uh, ultimately what you have to say is they probably need to run the table from this point and win the SCLC tournament. Uh, I had my first chance to, to watch a, a Liberty game end-to-end on Saturday when they played South Carolina. Um First off, the production quality was A+. So they it was streamed on ESPN+, which I ended up with a seven-day trial that I need to cancel in a little bit. Don't tell Liberty I said that. Um, <laughs> but uh, really impressive quality, and it was fun to watch the game. Uh, it's two very kind of different styles. I think that Liberty ultimately won that game on the 10-man ride. So it was a one-goal game for, for those of you who didn't watch, Liberty versus South Carolina. Uh, one-goal game, Liberty scores with about uh, 10 seconds left to take the lead at 12-11 to win the game. Uh, very back and forth it kind of seemed like liberty jumped out of the gate really quick they're up 5-1 and south carolina clawed, clawed their way back in to the point i think they had a two goal lead in the second half uh liberty ended up coming back winning that game uh doing a really nice job of not um not not giving up when they're down a couple goals so i think liberty is a very good team i think their 10-man ride uh was very good i think it cause the game like that's the difference in that game if you take away the 10-man ride and they run a normal ride and and South Carolina clears at 80 percent or whatever uh South South Carolina wins that game going away um the reason why I think this matters is because I'm not 100 percent convinced that Liberty will make it through the SELC tournament as the champion and I think to be a top two seed you're probably looking at uh Cal if they win the WCLL tournament is going to take one of those top two seeds you can debate one or two and then probably either Liberty or Georgia Tech if either of them win the SELC 
NLC tournament, they're going to end up as that two seed. Uh, so I think the winner is going to be that. And I'm not convinced that Liberty is going to win that tournament. I think Georgia Tech is really good. I think if South Carolina saw Liberty again, uh, they'd probably be excited for that opportunity. You have uh, South Carolina played Liberty at Liberty after a bus ride, and they took them all the way to the wire. So uh, I think that in order to, to buy that, as them as a top two seed, you have to buy them winning the SELC tournament. Uh, and I'm not there yet. What about you? Buying or selling? Yeah, I'm I'm buying it. Uh, you know, I've kind of stayed on this on this train of of Liberty in the, in the top two, so I'm definitely buying it. Um, I've been high on them all year. I think uh, a lot of the things you just said were a lot of reasons why I think you, you should buy it. Um, you know, they're undefeated. They just beat a very good South Carolina team, and I think uh, you know, kind of what you were saying about like how they won that game. South Carolina got up. And then Liberty fought their way back, and so like showing the resiliency, I think is is uh, is big. Yes, it was at home, but I'm not going to uh, discredit them for that. Um, and then you talked about the ten man ride, and I, you know, you know me, I'm a huge fan of the ten man ride. Uh, I think it caused a lot of problems for a lot of teams. Um, so I love that, and then I love their diversity on offense. We've talked about that, I think, on our last show. Uh, I just I think they have a lot of weapons, and I think that's going to be tough to stop. Uh, for me. Kind of like what you were saying is the biggest. The biggest question is who do you put in Georgia Tech um, or them in the top two? I think Cal. Uh, you know, obviously a lot can happen, but I think they're in a pretty good spot to get one of the top two seeds. So it's really one of those two teams. And uh, you know, I was looking at your um, your poll um, voter tool. Kind of shows two teams side by side, and I just think Liberty has a better resume. Uh, yes, Georgia Tech has the win over Chapman, which uh, is is why they're you know kind of two right now. Um, but they're equal in top ten wins. But Liberty has more top fifteen wins. They have more top twenty wins. They have more top twenty five wins. Uh, they have one common opponent, um, and and Liberty handily won uh, against UConn. Uh, Georgia Tech struggled a little bit. Obviously, that's like too small of a sample size to get a ton of information. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think uh, you know, I think if I had to pick one team of those two, I'm I'm picking Liberty. Um, you know, I think their resumes are very similar. They both have a you know, Liberty beat a six, the number six team. Georgia Tech beat the number five team. Um, but yeah, but that was Chapman else. on the road, you know, all the way across the country. And I think Chapman has proven to be very good after they just slapped uh, Concordia last weekend. Yeah, sure. But so, I mean, so to I me, that, that as, Chapman as, wins a little bit better than the the South Carolina win at home. But I mean, but why? I like I, I think like for some reason I'm a huge fan of Chapman, but for some reason we hold like a, a win over Chapman as like oh man, now you are the real deal if you beat Chapman. And I think you can say the same thing about South Carolina. I think South Carolina is the real deal. Um, yeah, but I, you know, but but there's a big difference between Chapman and South Carolina. Chapman, if you go through and you look at their wins, they've got wins against number six, number eight, number seven, number nine. Their only two losses are to current number one and two. When you look at South Carolina, they got wins over ten. You've got number eleven Boston College, who's going to plummet after they got destroyed by UNH, and you've got BYU, who's been kind of a, a little bit of an up and down team. They're six and five team, and you've got Florida State, who's hanging on to the top twenty-five. So to me, I, I'm saying, yeah, Chapman and South Carolina are, are not comparable i think chapman is by far and away the better team this year than than south carolina but i'll let you go on yeah well i mean that's that's pretty much that's that's you know the the all of my reasons why i have liberty i so are you saying that you would have south carolina a lot lower than six or are you saying the difference between five and six is that big that beating the five team is so much better than beating the six team 
I think beating the the I think beating Chapman on the road uh, is a significantly more impressive win than South Carolina at home. However, you want to interpret that. I think there's a lot of things that go into that, but that's how I would I would state it. I mean, even though two teams have already done that, uh, two teams have already done what? Beat Chapman. I mean, like yeah, but so but it's it's Cal and Georgia Tech. Those are the only two teams that have done it. Yeah, like, but uh, but like it's not it's not so elusive if they've if it's already happened twice. How many teams have beat South Carolina? Well, Chapman and Liberty. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking like two losses. I don't think those are like way different than, than, you know, they're not way different than each other, but I think historically we've put Chapman a little bit on a pedestal. And so like, for some reason, when you lose to, or when you beat Chapman, it's like, Hey, roll out the red carpet where I, I think you can say the same thing about South Carolina. I would have I would have agreed with you three weeks ago about Chapman before they they kind of got on their run before they just beat Concordia by five on Sunday in a game that seemed like it was never really even in doubt. I mean, their two first games of the year they lost, uh, but those two teams have proven to be the number one and two team in the country. Uh, and the, all they've done since then is win, including you know beating South Carolina by five goals. I think the gap between six and five there actually is significant. But this okay. is this is where we have this is where we have a tendency to go down rabbit holes. So we probably better move on because I think we could ultimately <laughs> spend our entire forty five minutes debating this topic. Uh, but so ultimately, you are buying Liberty as a top two seed. I'm selling. I'm them. I think that I think that even if they if they were to lose a regular season game and let's say ASU wins out, I think they end up a three seed behind ASU if they don't win out the rest of the way. So I think they have a little bit of a tough setup just because of how their schedule is laid out. If they win the SALC and they do it in undefeated fashion, I think obviously they're either a one or a two. Uh, I think they'd have a really, really strong case for number one at that point. Uh, but I'm just not buying that that happens. So let's move on to another team that has been kind of making waves this week. Well, that's definitely been making waves this week. Um, and probably the most requested topic that we had for this podcast was to talk about New Hampshire. So a couple different suggestions or questions about New Hampshire, everything from is New Hampshire for real? Uh, is New Hampshire a top 10 team? I think ultimately the best question is right now from, from what you see, uh, does New Hampshire win the AQ for the CLC? So Taylor, are you buying or selling New Hampshire winning the, the CLC automatic qualifier? I'm buying that. Um, and I think uh, the biggest reason, well, I mean, before I talk about the biggest reason, I think you have to look at kind of the other four teams uh, that are in the CLC that I think have, have a good shot. Uh, Boston College, Buffalo, UConn, and Michigan State. Uh, I'm going to throw out Buffalo. I could be wrong. Maybe them, Northeastern. Uh, I, yeah, I thought about Northeastern. North, Northeastern um, makes waves at the end of the season, but yeah, you're but probably they have right. a Those couple of teams. bad bad losses in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I think they lost to, to CSU. Um, I can't remember who else they lost to, but I think they have six losses. So yeah, you could throw them in there. I, I don't, I have a hard time seeing them winning it, but, um, but so it's, for me, it's those other four uh, and we could talk, I mean, I think Buffalo, maybe you could talk me into them, you know, making it, I think they're trending, trending in the right direction, but um, you know, those blowout losses to South Carolina and Georgia tech uh, make me think they're not quite in that upper tier. Uh, then you go to, to UConn. Um, who's I think is really tough to figure out where they go. Uh, I think they've lost some close games to Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, Liberty, and Georgia Tech, uh, all pretty close except for the Liberty one. Um, so I don't, I don't like, I, I know their ceiling, which is they're not a top tier team for me, but I don't really know their floor. I don't think they've had any really good wins for, you know, for me to say here's where they, where they belong. Maybe the Northeastern one is good, but um, again, they have six losses. Uh, Boston College, uh, I'm not sure how they're gonna, how good they are, uh, and they just got blown out by by uh, New Hampshire, so it's hard for me to say they're gonna be higher. 
And then you have Michigan State, who I think is looking better. Um, and, and I think they could kind of make a run towards the end. But I think they're very far from the uh, the force they were last year. So. Yeah, you know, the Indiana kind of, game. The Indiana game this weekend did not inspire a ton of confidence. We can get more into that later, but right. yeah, ultimately that's that's tough sell. Yeah, and so and so the biggest thing for me is not so much that they're way better than everybody. The biggest thing is how the uh, CLC tournament's gonna unfold. Um, I think you have uh, four it, four really good teams in the East, and I think there's only one kind of good team in the West, Michigan State, and so. Um, you know, they're, if they're the number one seed, they'll get a buy and then they'll play probably the winner of the two in the West and the thir- the three in the East. And so I think that road is going to be so much easier for them come tournament time because they've shown they are, are you know, at least in one game, significantly better than Boston College. So yeah, for me, it's more about the, sure. the road than the, than the actual team. Yeah, and for me, I'm going to buy for other reasons. I'm going to buy because of the team makeup. So I'm for sure buying New Hampshire. Uh, also, uh, if I had a poll vote this this week, and I haven't I haven't fully sat down and done my poll voting like I would do every week, uh, but I think it'd be really hard for me not to have um, New Hampshire at least in the top 10 and maybe pushing top five. I would definitely have them above South Carolina. So for whatever that says, I think South Carolina is really good, but I'd have them in that six to five range uh, because of what they just did to a team that for the whole season we've assumed that boston college is a top 10 team uh they put up some okay results to, to kind of match that and then they come out and beat them by 13 it's kind of that same th- same type of result but you, you got to be a little bit careful of overreacting like it reminds me of liberty slapping uh michigan state, michigan state like yeah. we're kind of like holy cow uh but ultimately michigan state and boston college may end up being very similar teams at the end of the day um yeah but for I, me, I, go ahead i was gonna say I, i'm not sold on boston college and you know, i thought they were a top 10 team uh, are you sold on michigan started- state I'm not sold on either one of them, but I mean, yeah, I think, College, I think they're similar. Yeah. I thought they were top 10 and then they, they lose this one big. And I started going back and looking at their results and, you know, they hung with South Carolina, uh, kudos there, but hanging with someone's very different than beating them. And yeah. then they've had some, you know, not super impressive wins since then. They barely beat Florida state, barely beat Florida, um, and really no other great games or great wins uh, to talk about. So <laughs> I yeah. think, um, you know, I, I, I sort of thought they were top 10 and maybe maybe they're not who we thought they were. Sure, but let's say you put a floor on them at Florida State. It, it, right now, we're assuming that's around 20th. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of teams that haven't beaten the 20th ranked teams by 13 goals. So either yeah. way, still impressive for, for New Hampshire. Uh, the thing I look at, though, is the team breakdown, um, and specifically who's leading teams. I always like to see, uh, in terms of projecting postseason success and, and uh, tournament success, I, I want to see a little bit of a – uh, your senior leadership kind of taking hold and being the people that are leading out. And if you look at the point breakdown for New Hampshire in terms of who's leading, it is their senior class that's leading out. So they've got 56 points of, of 56 of their points. The next closest is their sophomore class that has 33. And it's been really balanced. They, they've got a couple of really good transfers that have come into New Hampshire that are, are, are making waves. They've got a couple of big boys. If you've uh, seen any of them play and you looked at maybe even looked at their roster size in terms of, uh, how big these guys are, but ultimately senior leadership uh, is going to be the people who've been through this before. So the people who were in the, in the tournament last year that, that kind of had the same story arc as this year for New Hampshire, where they kind of had this, this huge surge at the beginning of the season where everybody's like, Oh my gosh, New Hampshire. And then ended up fading at the end of the year. Uh, I think that this is a class that's been through that and is, is even better. And I think that with that senior leadership, I don't think they fade this year. I think they go into the CLC tournament. Uh, I think it's pretty realistic to think that they go in undefeated, um, 
and they're going to go in with the senior leadership. I think they win. I mean, really, their only games left. They've got Connecticut, Buffalo, and Northeastern are the only potential stumbling blocks for them going undefeated. And based on what we saw them do to Boston College, I don't think it's unthinkable to say that they go into the CLC tournament undefeated and come out of it undefeated, which at that point you probably are talking a top five seed for them. Um, even though some of their wins are a little bit, you, you know, they're missing a true signature win at that point, but still you win the CLC. It's a pretty good conference. And I think you can expect a high seed. So I'm buying uh, specifically based on uh, the, the makeup of that team and, and who's leading that team out. Uh, so I am also buying New Hampshire as the CLC champion. Yeah. And like I said, I think they're the best team there. And I think you add how the tournament plays out. Um, I think they have a, a really good shot to win the CLC. So um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, a little bit of kind of a D2 uh, team, uh, Minnesota Duluth. Uh, they've had a really good year. Uh, I think they've uh, they've beat a, a D1 team, um, and then they've lost to a D1 team. But uh, Duluth, Minnesota Duluth, uh, as a top 20 D1 team, are you buying or selling? I think I'm going to buy that. Um, and I, I may be colored by the times that I played Duluth and coached against them. And I just hate playing against those guys because they're so, they're just such a tenacious team. Um, yeah. But if you look at the game that they just lost uh, and you look closely at the dates, uh, it was the same day as they played Dayton, a game that actually mattered for them. Um, so it, it, when I say it mattered, I mean, it was within the same division. So uh, you have them beating Minnesota early in the year. So they beat Minnesota who has been on the fringe of top 25 for yeah. a little bit in division one. And then you have them losing to Davenport, but they lose after they played a 7 a.m. game against Dayton. So that's a wild schedule to say, okay, it's 7 a.m. We're going to get up at what? 5:30, And we're going to play our game that matters at 7 a.m. And then, Let's say that game ends at nine o'clock. Three hours later, we're going to turn around and play D1 Davenport. Yeah, so you lost. But ultimately, if you're if you're Duluth, who cares that you lost that game? It shouldn't matter in the in the votes. It shouldn't matter in any of the other things. So I'm not going to weigh too heavy in on that. I think from what I've seen of Duluth, I haven't watched a ton of Duluth, but I have seen a little bit. I think they're good. Like they they haven't lost a game in D2, and I think uh, the win over Minnesota would would be enough to keep them right around that D1 top 25, top 20 range. And I think if they were D1, there's no way you schedule another team like a Davenport three hours after you play a game that matters. So I'm going to toss that result out a little bit and ignore it. And I'm going to buy uh, Minnesota Duluth as they would be a top 20 D1 team. Yeah. I'm going to sell them. Uh, not because I, I don't think they're good. Um, it's more of like, look at who the bottom uh, top 20 is in D1. Uh, you have an eight, three, eight and three Clemson, a nine and one UVU, uh, three and three UConn, who you know their only three losses, like we talked about earlier, were against very good. Uh, I think all top ten teams, uh, very close. So I think all three of those teams are very good, and it's hard for me to buy that um, a team that you know just lost to Davenport, and I and I get your sort of caveat on that loss, um, but a team that just lost to Davenport, a team that that you know beat Minnesota but won, um, so it's not like they're they're crushing. Which Minnesota will probably 25. Minnesota will probably be ranked next poll. I mean, they yeah. just beat they beat just beat USC and they were just on the outside last poll. So they were like ten points away from being in, and USC was the team. So I think it's realistic to think that Minnesota will be a top twenty five team next poll. Yeah, but my point is they're not. It's not like they're crushing the the twenty fifth team. Um, so so it's hard for me to say they're much better than the twenty fifth team. Maybe they're in that range. Uh, if you were telling me, hey, top twenty five, I I think I'd buy that. Um, I just think top 20 seems a touch high for me. Um, 
And, and again, uh, like the loss of Davenport hurts. And, and I think you bring up a great point about playing two games in, in one day. I mean, that's just crazy. I couldn't imagine uh, doing that, especially a close game uh, three hours before. Um, but but Davenport's lost a handful of games to D2 teams. So Davenport's not um, – you know, super high quality D one team at the moment. Um, yeah, so, but Davenport's a tough team to play. I mean, you coach against them last year, and you yeah. you get that style. It's very physical. Uh, it, that's it's that's like a draining. That's a draining team to play, regardless of when you play them, and regardless of the other results this year for them. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I agree with that. And I think well, the coach is is awesome. So I think he probably has them well prepared uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, and and let me like maybe I can inject some uh, I can opine a little bit here on something um, that I think that all voters in the MCLA should always ignore cross division competition. They should be 100% treated as scrimmages, and you should not try to use them in your poll ranking because there's just not enough cross pollination of these games to get any idea what that means. Like when we talk about is Duluth a top 20 D1 team, we have no idea. We're we're putting out our best guesses, but ultimately we have no idea. They're not playing a D1 schedule. So we get like a sample size of two to like two. try and gauge yeah. them. It's yeah, yeah. it's impossible. And so yep. using that to say, okay, well, uh, let's use this to rank Duluth in the D2 poll because they lost to the D1 team Davenport. There's not enough information of these cross these cross divisional games to use it. So for me, I just throw it out completely. Wins and losses. Um, and it, it, like if it were me and I were a coach, I would be marking every single one of those games as scrimmages. I'd be happy to play them because I think it's great that you have Minnesota and Minnesota Duluth who are right next to each other. But ultimately, it should be treated as a scrimmage. And if you want to signal to the coaches that it that that look, we just don't know what these games mean, then they should be they should be um, scrimmages. Like I wouldn't reward Duluth for beating Minnesota the same way I wouldn't punish them in the D two polls for losing to Davenport because we just don't know what that cross divisional. Um, that cross-divisional comparison actually should look like. There's just not enough games happening. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, it's it's uh, we don't really know how the coaches are approaching it. Um, you know, Davenport's lost to uh, quite a few two or three um, D2 teams, and I don't know. I mean, maybe they played those games straight up, um, or, may, you know, maybe they, they said, hey, this is kind of a scrimmage. Uh, but they seem to be beating D one teams. So, and I. But you have to I ask think, you. You have to ask yourself that question, right? That's that's yeah. the issue. It's like, and, did you play it straight up, or did you uh, did did you not? Yeah, and I don't think every D one team is is better than every D two team. I think there's some sort of blend there towards the the bottom of D two and the top of D one for sure. I just like you said, it's other hard way around. To know I think. Where, uh, yes. Yeah, sorry, but but yeah, it's hard to know where that crossover is, and it's hard to know exactly how these teams are, are sort of approaching those games. Yeah. And, and here's something that I think can color the rest of our conversations as well. Um, when you're talking about teams, you have to take into account whether they scheduled good or bad. Uh, now this is kind of related to this topic, but it'll be more in like, I think there's, we have the tendency to like forgive teams for being like, Oh yeah, they're, they're three and eight, but man, they played tough teams. Uh, part of being like in the, the ch- tournament discussions and part of being like getting your ranking is scheduling appropriately. Like if you want to be a top 10 team and you don't think you can beat number one through nine, then maybe you shouldn't schedule one through nine and have a losing record and be like, yeah, but look, I scheduled really tough teams. Yeah. Part of it is like, there's, there's an art to scheduling that should matter, that should play. And you can't just excuse it because you're like, well, they schedule all the tough teams. Same thing with with Duluth, and this is getting back to the point. I think if Duluth were a Division One team, they would schedule significantly differently. Uh, they would play their games differently, and I think you could judge them on that. 
until that happens, which it may or may not ever happen again. And I, I miss seeing Duluth and D1. I loved having them out in Provo um, all the times that we played them. But until that happens, I think it's really, truly impossible to gauge. But my guess is I would I would buy that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so let's impossible, move on. impossible to yeah, know for sure, but but you're saying but it's I'm definitely right. a buy. <laughs> That's right. That's 100% a buy because I know for sure. Uh, nobody else could know for sure, though. Uh, let's move on to – so we had a lot of these requests come in uh, about conferences specifically and conferences for the tournament. Uh, so we're going to start talking about a few of the conferences. And we took one question and we blended it a little bit here um, in that – uh, the original question was, does BYU control their own destiny? And I think the more interesting question that we should answer, because I think the answer to that is like, obviously, yes. Like if BYU to win out, there's no way they're not in the tournament. Uh, so that's a really easy question to answer. But I think the more interesting question is, does the RMLC send two teams to the tournament? So Taylor, without the AQ this year, the RMLC still sends two teams to the tournament. Are you buying or selling? I'm, I'm buying that right now. Um, I think, uh, you know, a lot can happen. I don't think any of the RMLC teams have started playing their, their schedule. So their arm, their conference schedule. So, um, you know, no one get mad at me right now, but I'm, I'm kind of, uh, extrapolating a little bit, you know, right now, I think CU is, is a, is a top 10 team. And I think, uh, they're, uh, certainly not locked if they drop all the RMLC games, but, um, I think they're in a really good spot to, to make it. So for me, CU is kind of, kind of, uh, projecting a little bit. I think they're in a good spot. Um, I think the next most obvious team is BYU. And again, a lot of games to play. This could obviously change if UVU wins out, CSU wins out, you know, this changes, but, um, I think, uh, I have BYU kind of in that like 12 to 13 range. And I think their head to head win over Arizona, um, gives them a little bit of an edge to at least one of the bubble teams. And, you know, we talked, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you don't get credit just for scheduling hard games. And I don't think BYU should get a ton of credit just because they've scheduled hard games. But I do think they've, um, they've had, you know, most of their losses are to top 10 teams. And so except for, you know, the UCSB one, which I think could hurt them. But for me, I have them on the bubble, um, but, but ultimately in. So those are my two RMLC teams. Uh, I'm buying it. I think they, they get two in. Um, but again, a lot of season to play. Yeah, for me, I'm going to sell just based on what I see in the future. Like if you were asking me in this moment right now, do you buy or sell to RMLC teams? I would 100% buy because I think you have a legitimate shot of Colorado, BYU, and UVU. Uh, I, if you look at UVU, I think they might have the a really good chance to get in based on a few things that I saw from the tournament last year, uh, the, the selection committee last year. Let me start with uh, Colorado, BYU. If Colorado runs the table – um, meaning they win every game and they win the, the tournament. I think that the two seeds for, or the two bids from the RMLC becomes significantly harder to justify. Um, and saying that, that BYU and UVU could both still use one big win to really lock in their resume and make them a lock in the tournament. And they pretty much for both of them, they need to get it against Colorado. So, I think that Colorado has shown to be pretty good this year. Um, obviously, they, they're not. They, they've lost some of their bigger games. They lost to Chapman um, at home, which is a little bit, you know, you maybe I didn't see that coming because that's usually a place that Colorado really locks down and does well. They lost to Arizona State on the road, um, so really their their best win was the Concordia win that they got at home, and the Concordia is 
they've kind of fallen off. They, I, I guess I should say they've lost a little bit of their shine the past couple of weeks. Not that it's a bad win by any means, but it's not the top five win that you maybe thought it would be two weeks ago. So you have Colorado, who's kind of like a, a, a top 10, but not locked top five team. And if they run the table, I still think that they're, depending on how things shake out, yeah, maybe they're a top eight team. So, and if you can't beat that top eight team, I think it makes it really hard to justify a second team coming from that conference when it's not like you lost to the number one team like it's been in the past. Like the top three seeds in the past has always been the top RMLC team has been there, but it may not be that way this year. And Colorado's schedule lays up in a way that like you kind of banking on the RMLC teams being these top 10 teams. So you bank some really good wins at the end of the season. Well, you've got BYU who's in that 13 to 15 range probably this week after the Cal Poly loss. You have... UVU, who's a pleasant surprise, who's going to be in that probably 10 to 10 to 15 to 20 range by the time you play him. And then you have CSU, who's knocking on the door of top 25. But after all of these teams beat each other up in the RMLC, uh, in league play, and then in the tournament, should Colorado run the table, I think it's going to be hard to take a second team in from that. Um, and so I guess if you're asking me, I'm saying, do you, right now, would you buy Colorado running the table? I think I probably would. Yeah, and so because they're going to run the table, you think – uh, BYU and UVU and CSU are all going to um, sort of drop just a little bit, just enough to push them out. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think I think what we saw last year uh, of Arizona State doesn't bode well for BYU. Um, specifically, that Arizona State last year was an eight and eight team who had a couple bad losses. Uh, like uh, they lost to UCSB, which sounds familiar. And then they lost to Georgia, which BYU doesn't have a comparable loss, that Georgia loss. But then all their other losses were to pretty good teams. Uh, but they had a number, they had a, a win over California, who was, I guess, I guess Georgia was ranked last year. So let me, let me take that back. They only had the, the Santa Barbara losses, their only unranked loss. Um, but then they had wins over, uh, you had the win over Cal, you had a win over Cal Poly and a win over, um, Colorado State. So like kind of like a couple of good wins. Oh, and a win over Oregon who ended up ranked last year. So a couple of good wins, nothing great, and they got left home. Uh and they took a Georgia Tech team who was uh 10 and 6, same thing, had a couple of really bad losses, but ultimately they had a winning record. And I think that the tournament committee is reluctant to start to keep taking these 8 and 8 500 teams. I think you've got to be a little bit over that 500 mark to get in even if you're playing a really tough schedule and even if you're losing close. Like if you look at Arizona State's loss last year all of them were by like one goal i think they, <laughs> they had only like had five overtime or something, something yeah i think the like only that. the only game they lost by more than that was like grand canyon who kind of gave it to them in the regular season yeah. uh but everything else was like this super narrow margin so you're like oh but they're so close to being good yeah the tournament left them home so i think that makes it tough for it um but should colorado run the run the table i think the best team that has a shot to get in it's probably uvu uh i think if they beat byu they have a really strong at large case um to get in the tournament so that's something to watch because their record is going to be like when we talk about having a winning record you can look out and say it's pretty reasonable to expect that uvu is going to have a winning record uh they only have one loss right now to arizona state and they have colorado byu colorado state um and that's it like that's the rest of their schedule so um let's say that they beat BYU, you beat Colorado state. Now all of a sudden you're a two loss team headed into the RMLC tournament uh, with a couple pretty good wins, including that grand Canyon win, uh, the Texas A&M when they just picked up and potentially a BYU top 15 win. That's a really strong uh, at large resume. So I might buy that, but I think right now from where I'm sitting, I think it's going to be a tough sell to get two at large bids from the RMLC this year. 
Yeah. Well, we could debate this one probably all night because, you know, we're both RMLC guys. We know a lot about the conference, but uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about the SLC, which we've kind of, uh, we're just talking about some of those teams. Uh, SLC, a four bid uh, conference. Are they going to send four teams to the nationals? Yeah. And I think we can go through this one quickly, but I'm selling this one. I don't think that you can keep everybody in for a lot of the same reasons that you project down that they're going to have to beat each other up. Uh, right now, if you look and you said, okay, well, Arizona is the next team that would make that four. If you assumed Chapman, Arizona state Concordia and Arizona, I think would be the most logical four at this point. I think that, uh, after those teams beat each other up, I don't think that they all make it in. So whether that's Arizona running the table a little bit, uh, let's say they get a big win over Arizona State, um, then they have a stronger case. But let's say, based on the record right now, Arizona State beats them, they're still on the bubble, uh, then you have to beat, win a couple games in the SLC tournament, and everybody's just going to kind of be beating each other up. I just don't see it. I don't see four teams coming from the SLC this year. I see three as a uh, as almost a lock. I would buy three all day. But that fourth bid, I think because of, of how the tournament play goes and and how much you're gonna have to beat each other up to get there i'm selling slc as a four-bid conference yeah i'm gonna sell them too i mean uh, like you said i think arizona is probably the biggest question although they certainly can run the tables and make it but uh the head-to-head with byu kind of pushes them out and then the other thing uh you know we may not even get to the head-to-head between byu and arizona because i think there's uh, i think it's very likely we see a team kind of push that we haven't really been talking about uh you know obviously new hampshire is one of them who's kind of surging right now. Uh, I think another one to keep an eye on is Clemson. Um, you know, I think Clemson can can make a run if they do something in the SELC, SELC tournament uh, and, again, push, you know, those Arizonas and, and maybe the BYU, those two, those two or three teams that are in the 12 to 14 range, um, range out. So I, I think there's too many teams, and, and like you said, they're just going to beat each other up. I just have a hard time seeing all four of those teams making it. Yeah, and, and ultimately, if you do get down to Arizona being on the bubble, it's going to be really hard to overcome the head-to-head loss to BYU. It, it, I think yep. uh, th- there may be a chance. I think that you have a selection committee. It's not just a poll. that it, it goes away that we're not expecting, but I think that that would be a defining, like if you're going head-to-head between the two of them, you'd probably take that um, into consideration. So we're both selling the SLC as a four-bid conference, but I think we'd both buy it at three. I think that yep. seems pretty likely. Uh, okay, so let's move to a different conference that we got a, a same thing, a lot of questions about. SELC, is the SELC a four-bid conference? So buying or selling the SELC as a four-bid conference? Uh, this one I'm, I'm buying. Um, I think you have four teams that have already put themselves in, in pretty good positions to make it. I think South Carolina is more or less a lock. Uh, Georgia Tech's a lock. Liberty's a lock. Uh, I think the biggest question you have is Virginia Tech, uh, you know, the team that, that makes it or doesn't. Um, I think they're... Uh, you know, I think they're in. I have a hard time seeing them drop any regular season games, um, but you know they could. But uh, if they make it, uh, if they win out the rest of the regular season games, I think even if they make it to the SELC tournament and lose uh, early, it's going to be to one of those top teams. And and uh, and I, you know, feel like they're not going to drop too far out of the top fifteen ish. So um, you know, I, I'm I'm buying those four teams. But if those don't, uh, you know, if those four teams don't go, I still think you have a chance with, you know, with Clemson. Um, I was just talking about, I think they have a chance, you know, I think they're eight and three right now. So, you know, they, they make some noise in the SLC tournament. I think, you know, not all your eggs are just in those four teams. You have another fifth team that, that could push for it, which I don't think you have in the SLC. 
Yeah, Clemson needs a a top ten win in the SELC tournament. They yeah. can't just have a win. They need to beat uh, one of those uh, South Carolina, Georgia Tech, or Liberty mm-hmm. because they right now they don't have any like eye popping outstanding wins. You would hope that it would have been a Georgia or a Colorado State, and I think they both have potential to sneak back into the polls. I think Georgia should be in the poll over Texas A and M, which would give them a, a ranked win. Colorado State probably should be pushing their way into the poll and certainly can get there with a win. Uh, you know, they're going to get three opportunities to play ranked teams in the rmlc uh league play so colorado state could conceivably conceivably be there and their losses are all to teams that i have in my top 10 so yeah clemson maybe they're on on the uh the brink but i actually uh when we wrote the podcast notes down for this i had originally said i was going to sell uh the SELC as a four bid tournament, but as i'm looking at it and as you're talking through it i'm actually going to buy them as a four bid tournament because when I looked at Virginia Tech at first glance, I'm like, okay, well, let's compare Virginia Tech to Brigham Young because ultimately you're starting to talk about these bubble teams. I think BYU is a good uh, example of a bubble team. And when I did that, it's like, okay, well, BYU has wins over 13, 16, and 23. Uh, Virginia Tech has wins over 17, 20, and 24. Well, uh, so I, like on the surface, it's like, okay, well, those BYU has the better wins. But I actually think like all of those teams are trending opposite directions. Like mm-hmm. all of BYU's losses, uh, maybe with the exception of Arizona, is, are trending down. Arizona is actually trending up after beating Grand Canyon. They're, they've shown that they're pretty good. But Grand Canyon should be a 20 to unranked team. Mm-hmm. They have not – like. They had shown me nothing that says that they should be stay, they should stay ranked, except for the Concordia win, right? Ultimately, the Concordia win is going to keep them ranked, but it should be at 20 to 25-ish. Texas A&M should be unranked. So that would leave BYU with a 20 to 25 ranked win, a good Arizona win, and then what else do you have? Whereas Virginia Tech, Connecticut has been trending up since that loss. Stanford, they don't have a lot more on their schedule to lose. I don't see them dropping a lot. The only uh, ranked game they have left is Cal and then the WCLL tournament. I think Stanford's going to trend up and Oregon has been playing some of their best across the year towards the end of the season. They took Liberty to two goals. They took Virginia Tech to one goal. Uh, I think the ultimate, I, I can't remember if that game was an overtime or not, but ultimately it was a good, uh, a, a close game. And then the win that I think for Virginia Tech is being is currently underrated is Indiana because I actually think Indiana is very good. Yeah. Uh, I and I say that because I, I got a chance to watch them play Michigan State and they had Michigan State on the ropes. Michigan State comes back, wins it in overtime, super good win for Michigan State. Um, but uh, I actually think Indiana is a good team and Virginia Tech handled them, so they won by eight, uh, which I think will end up being potentially top twenty five ranked win. That was a good win. Um, and Indiana is a team that's being overlooked because of the conference they play in. But let's not forget last year who uh, that um, the, yeah, they the 16 seed Indiana. Yeah, they were they were up at halftime. They were winning yeah, at halftime. Yeah. So they, they they seem to be better than they were last year. Like they have a couple uh, like kind of like you know ugh, losses this year. But I still think Indiana is good. Uh, maybe inconsistent, and they don't get a chance to play enough good competition to kind of stay at that high level all all year. But that's a really good win for them. So Virginia Tech, I think, actually does have a really strong case to get that four that fourth spot uh and that'll be one on the bubble that i think will be interesting to watch so i'm actually going to buy that as well yeah and and going back to indiana they have a one goal loss to buffalo which i think buffalo is more of the hit and miss team um but they have one goal loss to buffalo who i I think is good and they've lost to michigan state and virginia tech that's it so i think uh you know indiana um i I think they're probably underranked at least in the current poll uh you know red ranking uh our our ranking algorithm has them at 17 um so i think if you look at, at the, you know, just the data sort of uh, 
objectively, I, I think I think they should be higher than they are. So I think that's a, actually a good win. Um, before we move on, though, I just want to point out that I've I've did I convince you to, to go to the to the buy on that? No, I convinced myself. Yeah, <laughs> I think we should just stop now while I'm ahead, uh, and just and and end the podcast right now. Well, let's let's uh, not let's go on. We got a few more questions, so let's uh, let's continue all right, so on. The, so, so the next one, um, there's we've talked about this a little bit uh, off off the air, uh, if you will. We have the one and two seeds versus the rest of the field. So we don't know who the one and two seeds are for the tournament yet, but whoever they are, um, versus versus the field. So which one are you? Are you taking the? Uh, sorry, the one of the two seeds will win versus the rest of the field at nationals. So at nationals, I'm I'm betting. Would I take a bet on the one and the two seed winning the, the tournament or everybody else? Anybody uh, else? And yep. for, yeah, for that, I'm definitely buying. I would take the one and the two seed against the field. Uh, and the reason I would do that is because the history is is telling me that that there's something to being the the number one or the number two seed in the tournament. If we look at every tournament since 2006, so actually we could go back to 2002. The one or the two seed has won the tournament every single year except for 2011 when it was uh, Brigham Young, a very well coached team, might I add, and a lot <laughs> of uh, great coaching on it. Um, but the, uh, we won as the three seed that year, um, and then last year Michigan State won as the three seed. So I, I I have postulated reasons why I think that this might be the case in the past, but ignoring all those reasons of whether it's an easy first round game or an easier first round game, or the fact that you pick up the four and the five or teams like, however that lays out, whatever it is, it historically, the one and the two seeds have done very well. And, and it's why I think jockeying for seeds matters so much for the RMLC tournament, because that's a, that's a pretty big sample size. 2002, through 2018, only two teams outside the top two have won the tournament, and no teams outside the top three have won it. Now, uh, one yeah, thing that is you, interesting, oh, if you what, look at the last say one, eight years, then that's only that's two two out of two out of eight. So if you look at the last eight years, it's, you know you're 25. It's still fourth. It's still a 25 percent chance. I'll take my odds. There. Yeah, but I, I'm I put saying, my money I, down on it. I, I think. Well, yeah, and, and, and it is trending. And and, and the, the teams that are playing against are trending down in seed, which I which leads me to say that there's something that is evening out a little bit in that the losing seeds are uh, typically not the. They're usually a three, a four, uh, a one, a two in historically. But last year you had number nine uh, chat, or two years ago you had number nine Chapman who was in the final. Now last year. It was one versus three, um, but there are there have been teams starting to sneak in on the other side of the bracket. Ultimately, ultimately one of them may get over the side, but I still think that seeding is ultra important in the RMLs in the national tournament. And I would take the top two seeds versus the field. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna sell. Um, you know, I alluded a little bit to I think that the dynamic of the tournament's changing. I think you're seeing uh, it's just a deeper class. I think you know when you and I played, especially my freshman year way back in 2005. Uh, the bottom four, five, maybe eight teams were kind of um, a little bit of a joke. And it was, you know, the first round was sort of a walk. Um, and that's not the case anymore. Maybe the one, two have a, have an easier road. But I mean, I think, you know, Chapman was the one seed uh, and was losing at halftime. Ten years ago, you'd never see that. So I think that's trending to a yeah, lot. Yeah, Chapman. More Chapman had a tough time almost all the way through the tournament. Like it yeah. was, they they got they got games from everybody. They got a game from Indiana. They got a game from Liberty. Uh, South Carolina, I think, was ended up being their their biggest win, and they still got a game from South Carolina, and then they ended up losing in the championship. So yeah, I think you're right. The path is certainly harder than it's ever been for that one seed. 
Yeah, but my my biggest argument is is Chapman. Give me Chapman come tournament time, and I will take my chances. Uh, now maybe you say Chapman's going to be a top two team, and and I certainly wouldn't argue too hard on that. I think you know they always seem to peak at the right time. Uh, but if that's the case, then you're pushing one of the two teams that's already beaten them uh, into you know into the field. Um, so I think I think you know just that alone I think makes it really hard for me to take the one of the two seeds. Uh, but then you start adding teams like South Carolina, who I think is surging. I think uh, Harkey is going to – I think he's the real deal as a coach. I think he gets them playing their best uh, ball in May. I think and they have great up. goalie, great face-off, which yeah, is which, a total X factor in the tournament. Probably the best goalie I've watched this year and probably the best face-off guy as well. Those are, yeah, those are two you, big factors you, in the tournament. Yeah, if you have a good face-off guy and a good goalie, you can beat anybody. Even if you're – I mean, you, the chance of upset are huge if you have – those two positions locked down. So, you know, South Carolina, and then we haven't even talked about, you know, Liberty, who you know I'm high on. Um, yeah, but I'm assuming Liberty would be a top two seed. Uh, well, I guess I'm not. I Well, yeah. well Georgia Tech or Liberty, whoever whoever beat, whoever beat wins coming out of that, like if Georgia Tech wins, I'm going to feel really confident about them winning again. So I still yeah, do but, get two of those top two seeds. Whoever the so, best so, one is, that's the best part about this deal. Give me the best two teams after yeah, conference so, so tournament. Georgia, play Tech, out. Georgia Tech, Cal, we'll say those two. Then you, you're saying Chapman, South Carolina, um, Liberty, Colorado, uh, and then some wild cards like New Hampshire. Uh, I just think, you know, there's too many uh, good teams now. I think it's, you know, it's too diverse that, that it's hard to, to pick one or two teams. Uh, plus, you know, I'm, I'm a statistician and, and I think, uh, you know, the probability of an upset's way higher than, than we sort of intuitively think. Um, <clears throat> you know, look at Duke basketball a few nights ago. I think, it's yeah, but everybody knew Duke was going to lose. Too many people picked him in the bracket. <laughs> well, that, too many people are picking the one and the two seed to win it. Uh, my point is, it's it's very easy to get upset, especially when you have to win four games in a row. Um, and so for me, I, I, I'm selling the one and the two seed. I'm, I'm going with the field. Okay, uh, off the air, let's put money on this one. I think this is a good one. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, yeah, I like that one. So uh, let's do... Uh, this one, this one's not related to the MCLA specifically, but this is related to something that we have seen um, in the MCLA significantly in the past couple of weeks. So we've remarked about it on Twitter, but Taylor, uh, holding possession for the last shot in the final minute of a game. So let's say you're tied and you've got the ball in the final minute of a game. Are you buying or selling holding that possession for the final shot? So you're taking am- one shot, holding till the time runs out, and you're taking one or two shots at most. Yeah. I am selling that as hard as I could sell something. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's this tendency to say we got to hold for the last shot, and I think it comes from basketball. And I think, you know, while basketball and lacrosse are very similar, uh, they're, they're different enough that you cannot take every strategy from basketball to lacrosse. And, uh, I mean, the biggest thing is lacrosse incentivizes you to shoot because you get the ball back. Um, you know, if you miss the cage and, and you typically you have the backup, whereas basketball, it's it's very, uh, you know, one shot and typically it's, a you know, the other team gets it. So um, to me, I'm selling that hard. I, I'm telling my guys like, you know, be, be patient, you know, but 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 run the offense and, and, and take um, calculated risks. Uh, make sure we're not like doing anything stupid and turn the ball over, especially for a fast break. But I, I hate the idea of wasting 60 seconds of offense, um, you know, because you get a lot of shots in 60 seconds and typically you get the ball back. So I'm a hard, hard sell on that. 
Now, I I am also a sell. However, I will say, uh, Liberty, South Carolina, Liberty takes it and milks the milks the clock all the way down to the last couple seconds, and they end up scoring the game winning goal, and they leave. Uh, certainly not. There's only I think like 10 seconds. So now you're you're leaving South Carolina with the only option is a push and pop forward to try and win the game, and makes it easy to defend the faceoff. So really nice job by Liberty of executing the strategy of holding for it. However, I am also a sell with the caveat of you have to know how the game is going. Um, let's say that that I feel like totally in command of my offense and my defense is just been a save. Like we're winning in a 17 to 16 game. I might be more. Uh, I, I might lean more on the side of, okay, let's hold for the last shot here, uh, knowing that if it goes back to my defense, they're not stopping anybody. However, I do think I, I buy into the school of thought that, uh, with you, and I wasn't always this way. So this is twice in one podcast that I probably <laughs> won't publish because I'm saying this, uh, but I wasn't always this way, but I had, had, had bought into the idea that the, the biggest thing you limit by holding for one shot is your own opportunities. Yep. If you look at your offense, how many times do you shoot and get it back over the course of the game? Like if your average shots is 1.6 to 1.7 shots per possession, you're you're taking away that extra chance that might be the difference in the game by holding for only one shot. And what I've seen watching the MCLA this year, I've watched a lot of games, probably more than I should, um, but thank you to YouTube and the phone app being so great and letting me watch while I'm at dinner with my in-laws. Um, but, <laughs> um, but what I have uh, noticed is that Yes, these teams are getting shots off, but they're modifying their game plan because time's running out really quick. Um, so what, what's happening is they're taking their attack in the last 25 seconds, and the defense might shut it down initially. And so now you're scrambling because time's yep. running out to just get anything off, and you're getting off really bad opportunities. Whereas if you'd started that dodge with 60 seconds left, like who cares? Let it flow through the offense uh, and get to somebody else who can take another good opportunity. But you're forced to really hope that, that one play works uh, when you hold it for that final shot. And I don't like that. I like having the opportunity to say if it's not there let's be patient and move that ball around but let's attack coming right out of this with 60 seconds left uh now a lot of that is you and i are defensive guys and we're not afraid to put the the trust in our defense to get a stop if something were to happen um but i'm i'm also on that that boat of selling with the caveat that it, maybe there's sometimes that it, it makes sense and uh nice job liberty of, of using that technique um yeah i think away uh, colorado state did it a couple weeks ago as well didn't they Oh yeah, but they weren't really holding though. Like you're talking about the one where they beat, uh, where they beat Northeastern. Yeah, yeah. It, so it ended up in the in the last second of the shot clock. But I don't think that they were. Yeah, I don't know. They, they I, I didn't holding. watch the game. They kind of they kind of did they kind of did milk it a little bit. But that was yeah. a, it seemed a little bit different than like Liberty where it was an explicit milk of it. Uh, Cal Poly did this twice in, against Virginia Tech. Liberty, yeah, uh, once yeah. in regulation and once in in the first overtime. And both of them those are, those are the ones I like when I think in my mind of the opportunities I thought could have been a lot better if he started earlier. Those are the two that pop out in my mind. But as a general rule of thumb, I'm also going to sell this one with you. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think this might be our last one. Uh, the dive. So new rule changed, allowing the dive, uh, your thoughts on it. Are you buying the dive? I'm I'm selling this. I'm selling this for so many reasons. Uh, but the, the biggest reason why is because it's not that exciting. It's actually just like (laughs) stupid. It's like super dumb. I think Lax film room had a, a tweet about this and like full disclosure, I'm a Lax Film Room fan, which actually might put me in a couple people's bad uh, on their their naughty list. There's a lot of people who don't like him, and I don't get it, but uh, I like him in general. And uh, he had a tweet saying, you know, the SIDs at the beginning of the year were all posting dive shots about how awesome they were, and they weren't getting response. Like nobody cares. Like if you look at all the the best plays that have been on the Sports Center top ten, they're not the dives. It's really not that exciting of a play, and the jumbled refereeing of it now just makes it so like you score a dive, and then everybody gets up and. Looks 
looks at the ref and be like, okay, let's see what it is. Is this going to be a penalty on me or is this going to be a goal? It's like not exciting to watch that. And the, the whole snow cone thing has made it so that it feels like any ref could be right or wrong, depending on how they want to call it. So I think it's officiated terribly. I don't think it's that exciting. And I don't think we need it. Like, I don't think it adds that much. I think players have gotten actually pretty good at diving and staying out of the crease. And those were equally as awesome to watch as anything where they're diving and landing in the crease. So I think it adds nothing. I think it makes it really hard for refs to, to uh, referee the game, especially in non-traditional lacrosse areas, which is where the MCLA is a lot of. You're asking these refs who are only refing high school to now add this super um, nuanced rule and granted, I'm a big fan of staying with the NCAA rules, so I would never advocate changing an MCLA, MCLA rule um, just because of how the MCLA plays. But I do think that refs are having a really hard time refereeing this, and I think it's justifiably so. I think the wording is super ambiguous of, you, you know, should you call a push? Should it be a dive? How does the snow cone look? How were you diving towards the snow cone? I just don't like it. I don't think it adds anything. I think it adds confusion for the fans. And like just watching, I watched, I went to the BYU game on Saturday night and I watched one of the goals and they scored the diving goal. And then they kind of cheered and everybody stopped and looked at the ref. The refs get together and talk for 30 seconds, then call a penalty. Like nobody was excited. It wasn't fun to watch. And it was just, it's just ugly. So I'm selling the dive. I hope next year they get rid of it and go back to what the rules were before. Yeah, I mean, I, I will agree with you uh, on the sen- and, and very small part of what you just said, I'll agree with. Um, you know, I think it's hard to officiate, and I think that's not just at the MCLA level. Uh, it's not because you have inexperienced refs. I mean, even at uh, the top D1 uh, officials, I think, are having a hard time uh, getting this call exactly right in real time. So I think... Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to buy the dive. I like the dive, but I think they need to modify the rules. And my proposal is uh, modify it so it is a goal if the ball is in the, the net before you land in the crease and you make no contact with the goalie. So if you dive and the goalie comes out and he hits you or you know you dive right into the goalie, whatever the case is, if you make contact with the goalie, then it's a one-minute non-releasable penalty. You know, it doesn't matter how you got there. And it's up to the, you know, if, if you are the, the, you know, the attackman diving and you think the goalie might come out, that's, that's on you to not dive. So if you want to risk that and you want to take that gamble of like, I'm going to dive, I think I can do it without hitting the goalie, even if he tries to come hit me, then more power to you. But I think if you did that, it would be way easier to officiate and it would be uh, still keep the, you know, I, I agree that it's not super exciting, but I do think there are some diving goals that are that are are fun to watch. Um, so I think that would simplify it while still giving a little bit of upside from the dive. So yeah, I will and buy. I, and I'm being I'm being a little nostalgic of the old rules. I do think that the old uh, did you intentionally leave your feet or not also had a bunch of gray area that was ugly for the referees. Um, so it wasn't perfect before, and I think that ultimately the dive helped address that, but it added way more complexity. Oh, I think it added way more complexity the way it's written. Uh, I think the old one was. Hard hard but 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 better especially because the uh you know the the penalty you know there's no penalty so if it was like yeah he might have left his feet we're not really sure we'll just call it in the crease and move on um you know one minute non-releasable can be a huge game changer so i think you know that made it harder uh, and more severe if they got it wrong um and so that's why you know i like it i just think they need to make it easier to officiate which i think that proposal I just went through, which you and I have talked about it. I don't want to take credit for that, but you and I have talked about how they could make it simpler. And I think if you did that, it would, it would be sort of the best of, of all the worlds. 
Well, we are well over our time, so we're making up for lost time from last week and uh, last week's missed podcast, but hopefully the content was exciting for you. Uh, we really appreciate you guys that sent in suggestions. If you have, and we actually have a couple banked as well, so a couple of you sent in suggestions that didn't make the cut tonight uh, for the podcast, but we'll be on a future podcast. But if you have suggestions of things you'd like us to talk about, shoot us a DM. Really appreciate it tonight. I hope it made for some interesting conversations as we answered your questions, and uh, we'll be back next week. And Taylor, are you in, are you in Paris next week? I will not be in Paris the week after I'll be in Paris, but I will be recording at 2 a.m. or whatever time we're going to do this, so we'll oh, make man. it happen. I can't wait to have yeah. an international podcast. It's going to be so great. <laughs> um, but anyway, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, if you would like to leave a review, uh, make sure it's three stars. We don't like to get too high on ourselves. We don't want to get too low. 